0: Yeah, I can't believe it either. It's March 3rd. We're blowing through the month of March, people. I'm Guy Adami. Early bird edition of Market Call. Why? Because at my age, you know, 11 a.m. is a big deal. I'm Guy Adami. I am joined by Dan Nathan. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app. But of course, Open Exchange Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Man, oh man, a lot's happening in markets across the globe. We're going to try to make some sense of it all. But before you say, oh, it's just YouTube drips, no, wrong. R O N G. <laughs> in a minute, we're going to bring in EY from SoFi. So there you go, Dan Nathan.
1: Yeah, we love having lives on the market call with us. But here's the thing, guy. You know, you've cited, like, I think last week or for the last couple weeks, you're like, dude, there is a paradigm shift going on here in markets because usually we focus primarily on the stock market but man it feels like it's the tail wagging the dog or the dog wagging the tail there's a bunch of other stuff going on here that's causing just a lot of like volatility from one day to the next you know yesterday on the close things felt pretty good right in the stock market and here we are and we have some big stocks making big moves to the downside some big stocks making big moves to the upside but the nasdaq turned low we're going to talk about that a little bit and that's something that you and i are really focused on here but right away out of the gate, without any disappointment, David Rosenberg, Rosenberg Research, we love him, we call him Rosie here, he's been on our podcast, on the tape, before this tweet caught my eye, Guy dami he says, so we have a war, a supply-induced oil price surge, a tighter Fed, full employment A fiat or flat yield curve and an asset bubble. Sounds like it's 1990. What came next? A recession. Guy, what do you make of that? I don't know why I had fiat in the brain here. We didn't talk about the dollar. The dollar's doing pretty well too.
0: Because you've listened to me for years talking about fiat currencies. That's probably for another market call at another time. I'll say this. Supply-induced oil surge. Okay. I mean, I think part of it is supply. I think part of it's demand as well, by the way. Demand has come back in a meaningful way and we're probably surpassing Pre COVID level. So it is not only supply, it's demand as well. But he's spot on in terms of what's going on. And again, I'm not smart enough nor humorless enough to be an economist. (laughs) Rosie is both those things. It's also very smart. So I don't know what's coming next to recession. People ask me all the time. I have no idea what I'll push back and say, folks, and something you should think about. Does a market sell off cause a recession, Dan? Yeah. Or does a recession cause a market sell off? And I would suggest. A market itself causes a recession. Why? Because 73% of this economy is driven by the consumer. When the market's doing well, the consumers feel great. When consumers feel great, they spend. It's that simple.
1: Yeah, really quickly, though, Guy, you know, David is a Canadian, and you said that he's probably humorless, and you're saying that because he's an economist, but some of the funniest people on the planet are Canadian. Name a couple right now. I mean, honestly, right now, you know who they are. Burt
0: Reynolds, I know he's hysterical. I know Burt Reynolds is Canadian. Sally Field, I always found to be very funny. I'm pretty sure she's Canadian.
1: You're talking about Smokey and the Bandit, and first of all, not funny, but guys like John Candy, I mean, the list, Dan Aykroyd, the list goes on and on and on, so stop yourself right there. All right, let's talk about crude oil here because this move is not particularly funny either here, man. It has gone up in a straight line. I think the point that you were making about you think there's also a demand thing, and listen, that is debatable, okay? If you think about 2021, that we saw the expectations for demand rising throughout most of the year, except for the fact that we had the Delta variant and Omicron really kind of put a dent on some of that demand here, but the underlying move has been lower left, upper right. Right. And I think what we're seeing right here has nothing to do with demand. It really has to do with worries about supply. And this looks like a blow off to me, guy.
0: Yeah, no, that last listen, as we used to call that in the business, that line job you see to the right to the far right of the chart, that move yeah. obviously from ninety-three to one ten or so, that is what we call a line job. And that you're right. That is Russia Ukraine. But everything leading up to it, maybe it was the pretense of it or the potential of it. But a lot of it has to do with you mentioned supply and demand you know you look at when oil sold off in november two reasons omicron became a thing the friday after thanksgiving and the spr release i think that really scared a lot of economists thinking oh my god we're in the midst of another wave this recovery that we're hoping for is not going to happen i think the market pretty quickly figured out that that wasn't the case and then the subsequent bounce i think oil was on this trajectory anyway We obviously sped it up with this Russia-Ukraine thing. Now, I agree with you, Dan. That looks like a bit of a blow-off top, which means we could probably back and fill to the mid-'90s, but I don't think it's over yet.
1: Yeah. You know, the other point about recession and again, you know, as an investor or a trader, I mean, trading recession seems kind of goofy. It's just a word that's out there that people kind of identify the fact with a slowing, you know, economy over, let's say, a two quarter period or whatever. Usually the markets are going to move ahead of that. I'll just say this, though, the last two big recessions that we had that followed asset bubbles were when the Fed was hiking in 2000 into the top of the market there. And then again in 2007. So, you know, Rosie's been around for the. I think it makes sense to be cognizant of that, that. Obviously, the recession in 2020 was a black swan, and we hit that with trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary stimulus. That's what's different this time around, Guy, because you know what? Fed funds is much lower. It's basically at zero right now, pricing maybe 1% by the end of the year or so. But in times past, at when you know recessions started in 2000, Fed funds was above 5.5%. It was above 5% in 2007. Let's look at the SPX really quickly, the S&P 500 guy because I didn't even draw any lines. I'm kind of channeling my inner Carter Braxton worth here. You see that downtrend. You see the 200-day moving average at 4,465. That actually lines up with that downtrend if I were to have uh, drawn a line here. What's your take on the S&P 500 here? Because it seems like we're one headline away from retesting that low from the other day at 4,200.
0: Well, it's sort of like battle lines are being drawn across the globe and battle lines are being drawn in the form of the 200-day moving average, which as you know, we didn't visit for quite some time and now here we are obviously traded down through it back up through it and we're fighting with it and that's the market push me pull you i would say you mentioned paradigm i think there's a g in it i don't know how to spell it but there is a paradigm shift right now i think what we're seeing and liz spoke about this a month month and a half ago that instead of now being a market where you buy sell-offs now you're selling rallies and i think this speaks to exactly that and it started mid-december so when the fed changed course so i look at this chart and say Although we might trade back up to that 200-day, I think now 200-day is a level of resistance, a huge level of resistance. And quite frankly, the standard deviations we traded away from it on the upside, Dan, for months and months, I think it's going to start to happen on the downside. 4,000 being the logical stop, but 3,750, a number that continues to come up time after time. That's the ultimate goal here in the S&P. Time after time, Cyndi Lauper. That's what you're channeling right now, here, guys. You know what? One of the worst songs of all time. I mean, of my 710 song Spotify playlist, you will not find Cyndi Lauper on it. Back to you.
1: Yeah, mine either. All right, let's look at the NASDAQ 100 really quickly here. One of the reasons why we want to focus on the underperformance of the NASDAQ relative to the S&P 500 is the fact that we still are having massive, massive declines on some very high valuation names on earnings. You would have thought after some of the devastation that we've seen over the last six to nine months in many of these names that we'd be nearing a bottom in some of them. But, you know, you can do the math there on that move. You know, we had that bounce off of 13 or so thousand and it was pretty violent you're still well away from the 200 day moving average but let's quickly move to the disaster di which is snowflake and this is a company that i know you've been talking about price to sales ratios for some of these Big, big names. Look at this move today. It's down about 50% from those all-time highs made in November here. And it still trades at around 33 times sales, guy. In this market, if that was a PE ratio, that would be very high here for an unprofitable tech company. Help me make some sense of this
0: thing. There is no sense to be made because you, valuations, if you look going back from May, valuations didn't matter. Nobody cared. And that was suggestive of this price move. Because listen, Snowflake's a growth company. Yeah, price to sales, metrics don't matter. Well, metrics started to matter in November and December, and you see how quickly you take the wind out of the sails. At its zenith, which is a great word, by the way, I think Snowflake was a $160, $170 dollars multiple multi-company, market cap company. Preposterous, if you think about it, when it's a company that may, and I say may do, $2 billion of sales In the next fiscal year. It's preposterous, actually. So as you just pointed out correctly, even with this sell-off that we've seen, even with the stock that's now been effectively cut in half, it is still trading around 34 times price to sales. Still expensive. What does it mean? Well, I think it's going to do a round trip. I think it's going to find itself at levels we saw in the spring of last year. Again, not to cast aspersions about Snowflake. I'm sure it's a wonderful company. It's just too expensive, Dan.
1: Yeah, and you know, listen, we had some cues about how this thing might react on disappointing margins or guidance by Salesforce, which is a much larger SaaS company reported earlier in the week, this is a company with a $200 billion market cap, and they gave you know pretty decent guidance there, but the stock really didn't do a whole heck of a lot. And just to kind of put some context on that. Sales multiple. I mean, you know, this is a company, Salesforce, that is expected to have, you know, over, I don't know, $27 billion this fiscal year in sales growing more than 20% and expected to grow 20% next year. That's pretty good for a company on that sort of sales sort of number. And that trades about six times sales. So stocks like Snowflake are not done going down. But here's one that you mentioned earlier in the week, Guy, and responding to good earnings. And even in this market of high growth tech that's really being sold. Even on good news, look at this Palo Alto Networks. What's going on here? New all-time high. Again, this was often deemed to be an expensive sort of stock, but is there something going on from a secular standpoint that's drawing investors into this name?
0: Well, the folks watching on whatever distribution network you're getting this on, and you know, I don't know, but they'll say to themselves, wait a second, guy, you just said we're in a paradigm shift and you don't know how to spell it. But now valuations matter. So valuations matter. They should matter for Palo Alto as well. Yeah, that's true. But we've couched it a little bit on the show and saying this is a secular growth, secular shift story. And it finds its way into cybersecurity, which everybody's now talking about. And something we talked about a year ago, telling people how cybersecurity is the next big battlefield. So now it's on the tip of everybody's tongues. And quite frankly, even with these lofty PE ratios that you see in PANW, you can actually make a decent argument that it's not all that expensive especially given that they're the gold standard in the space.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the point. You know, 20% plus expected EPS and sales growth for the next couple of years or so trading, you know, around 10 times sales this year. Again, that seems like a preposterous sort of number, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And if that earnings leverage starts to kick in, that 80 times PE starts coming down a bit. All right, Guy Dami, I think we kind of surrounded
0: the trade on well, high I love when we do that. What, what, comes, what,
1: what comes next in our fun little program
0: here? Well, we like to bring in E.Y. from SoFi, which I coined. By the way, if she were to go home to Wisconsin over the weekend, her parents would say, Elizabeth, it's so great to have you back in the house. So I just took the Elizabeth and I made it E. (laughs) How are you, E.Y.?
2: I'm lovely. I'm lovely. How are you?
0: I'm well. I see you're wearing the 2018 Diane (laughs) von Furstenberg collection. It's lovely. Great outfit. You've heard Dan and I wax poetic here. Give us some of your thoughts before we drill into some of the things you've written about this week.
2: Well, first of all, I have 74 songs on my Spotify liked songs list, and Cindy Lopper's Time After Time is one of them.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> so I feel attacked by both of yeah, you. Yeah, well, right you, um, all right. Should. So I know. I was actually, I was just talking to my analyst uh. about this. I said something along the lines of, I'm really excited for this year. I think this year is going to be exciting for markets. And he is completely unaffected by my moods, which is probably good. And said, don't you say that every year? I probably do because I love my job. But here's why I think this year is exciting. Because we are in an environment that nobody has seen, except maybe Gaia because you were trading during the Second World
1: War. <laughs> but there it is.
2: Right? We've got... We've got inflation at levels that it hasn't been at since June of 1982. Everybody keeps saying it's been 40 years. It's been 39 years and eight months. My birthday's in July. I was born in July of 1982. Do not rush me to 40. It's been 39 years and eight months (laughs) since we've seen inflation like this. We've got inflation, a hiking cycle. Yes, we have a bunch of new investors in the market, but even the old investors haven't seen this. So this is a year when nobody has an advantage except for Guy. So I think this is going to (laughs) be... Absolutely fascinating to watch, and we're going to learn a lot. But one of the things that I think is really important, too, for people to keep in mind, and I know we say this all the time, but I don't think we can say it enough, the market switches direction, the market changes, the market has inflection points before the actual events that we're anticipating.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, listen, and Liz, you kind of heard us talking a little bit about that when people throw around that term recession, you know what I mean? Like the markets don't bottom, you know what I mean? Like when the throes of the recession, you know, I mean, like, listen, they're going to move ahead of that sort of news here. But talk to us a little bit about I know that you had a week off to kind of reflect a little bit here, but you're thinking about contagion, you're thinking about these sorts of risks here. And I think it's really important because, again, sometimes it's really kind of difficult to kind of. Put your finger on what are the most important things that have the potential to really snowball, and, and especially in a macro period like this with so much uncertainty?
2: Yeah, well, so the week that I had off was when a lot of this was heating up, and then I came back and it, it all sort of came to a head. So, the contagion risk piece of this is really what we're all trying to figure out, and I think what markets were trying to figure out last week and over the weekend is is this going to bleed into something that affects the global economy, the US economy? And then we'll talk about Guy's point before of does a market sell-off cause a recession? The contagion risk piece of it, when I sat back and and tried to answer this question, because I think every investor is asking themselves that question. How contagious is this going to be? Do I need to protect myself from it? So then I had to ask, what are the big places that could become contagious? And then rank them in order of importance in my head. So what I came up with were the three big pieces were oil, sentiment, and financial asset freezes. And then I put them in that order of importance. Now we can talk about oil probably for this entire episode. I know I could, but I think the biggest risk is oil and we can dig into why that is. I don't think that it's necessarily the oil price itself that's going to send us somewhere, but it's just everything that that represents.
0: I agree with that, Liz. And we've talked about it for a while. And I'm with you. And I'm curious as to your thoughts is, you know, does a recession cause a sell-off or VC Vicey, vice, as they say? And by the way, Contagion, a great movie. I think it was Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo. I think Morgan Freeman was in that as well. But, you know, I digress as I typically do. But in terms of price, you're right. And, you know, people get caught up in price. Price is not the real culprit here. It's availability. And I think that's what people are sort of missing. And, you know, if this is going to be out there for a while, which I happen to think it will be you wonder what the knock-on effects to global economies are.
2: Yeah. So here's my question to you, though. Would you buy oil at this level? If you think it's going to be here for a while, would you buy it here? Would you buy the XLE?
0: Well, it's interesting. Dan just mentioned before, it looks like a blow off top. I would say for the next six months, I think six from that, months from now, oil will be higher. I think over the next couple of weeks, there's a chance we go lower. And I'm not trying to sort of duck your question. I think the answer to answer it specifically is, I think we're in the middle innings of this entire move. So, yes, I think you can continue to stay long, both the commodity and the XLE. Yeah, but you know
1: what's interesting, Liz. Just real quickly on that too is that you know no one was complaining about the underinvestment in the oil space when oil prices were low. All we heard about was just how the electric grid was changing, how every major automobile around the world manufacturer was moving to EVs, that sort of thing. And it's now because we have a geopolitical shock and we have you know really fears of some kind of supply issues here. Now you're like, see, well, we've been underinvested. You know what I mean for the last whatever you know ten years or something like that so to me listen I play for a mean reversion in this I think you are seeing crude it will blow off top if this thing were to peacefully kind of de-escalate and then we have some sort of deal with Iran and then there's never any real issue with China and Taiwan I think you're going to see crude oil back near I don't know 80 75 dollars that's the 200-day moving average on this thing so to me I would not be buyers of the XLE or the OIH here but guys had a very good call on this so I'm going to kick it back to you Liz that's my two cents and
0: I'm going to kick it back to me to kick it back to Liz and say, you know, in terms of being important, this is one, I love your work, by the way, as you know, catching bad feelings, which again, I mean, I just did very, I just, I'm catching these hip (laughs) phrases that you throw out there, but this is really important. You point out that AAII, American Association of Individual Investors, you know, they flip bearish. Now, people will say that's a bullish indicator. I get it, counterintuitive, but you know what? Sometimes people can be right too, Liz.
2: Yeah, they can be. So this is the first time that bears have outnumbered bulls since spring of 2020. And we all know what happened in spring of 2020. I do think that this over, over the course of the rest of 2022, I think that this is a bullish indicator. But the problem is we haven't had other indicators tell us that we've hit bottom, right? You want confirmation of a bottom. And we haven't seen that. Even things like the put-call ratio haven't gotten to extremes. So there hasn't been I think, enough fear yet in the market. Now, the oil piece, I know I'm going to go back to that just for a second, because here's what I think could play out. And I actually agree with Dan. If you look at what happened in 2012, we had oil prices get up to $125 a barrel. And that was because there was a supply shock out of Iran, right? We were putting sanctions on Iran. So similarly, there's a supply shock out of an international country. What happened after that was oil prices came down, not necessarily in an orderly fashion, but they came down because there started to be worries about global growth. I think that happens this year, not just because of this geopolitical shock, but because central banks are starting to tighten and slam on the brakes. So if growth starts to come down as the rest of the year goes on, demand for oil comes down. I do think prices go down from here. I think we either have seen the peak or we're in the peak right now, excuse me, right now. What that means, though, is just for that sector, so just for the energy sector, right? I think the rest of the market, now that we have confirmation of what Jerome Powell is going to do on March 16th, he said he's going to do 25 basis points, that uncertainty comes off the table. And that's where the market starts to get a little bit more comfortable. And when you look at what happens once a rate hike cycle starts, technology, growth, stocks, communications start to firm up 3, 6, 12 months out. So, we could be in a position later this year where things are actually okay. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to see 28%, but things are going to be okay. And maybe this is the worst period that we see in 2022.
1: We yeah I you know, I like I like, I like, I like yeah. that I like that okay bit there guy just just you know because I think everybody you know as we think about this and again I, I like the way you started off your piece on the SoFi blog today you know you're kind of reflecting on the fact that nobody wants war nobody you know wants this loss of life it's a very difficult situation here and sometimes we all feel a bit shallow talking about these risk assets and talking about money in the stock market when there's a really difficult situation going on over there so we would all kind of you know any game. ...that you'd have because you're long oil, we'd all give up, right, to have this thing... Move on. But one of the things I think Liz is really interesting is that there's been some crazy moves in single names too. And we wanted to highlight one guy and I mentioned it earlier in the week. You know, in some of these defense contractors, when Germany said that they were going to get up to that 2% spending threshold for their NATO commitment of their GDP, look at this Lockheed Martin chart. It went absolutely parabolic. It looks a lot like that move that we just saw in crude oil again. And so, you know, to me, I look at this and, and I see, well, There were some very disappointing results and guidance back in the fall. The stock kind of found some footing there very near its 52-week lows and then started to kind of build on that and kind of get back to its prior 52-week highs. And then the situation, you know, kind of gets, you know, going in Ukraine. And then you see this sort of move here on those sorts of headlines. And to me, I like to look the other way. Again, you know, I don't really want to be, you know, trying to profit off of what's going on here. But if we're just kind of thinking about markets and thinking about dislocations, this one was really interesting to me and so I was thinking about using an options trade to kind of express a view lower a check back to that breakout level which was very near 400 bucks and we just have a little slide here I just took a screenshot just to show you how I might think about doing this Lockheed's trading as we're speaking right now about 445 bucks you see that level down there at 440 I'd love to get your take guy on the technicals and also kind of the defined risk trade idea so if you were looking to buy let's say the 435, 395 put spread in April expiration that would cost you about ten bucks or so. So what I used to usually like to do is I'm looking for a put spread or a call spread. The premium that I'm paying, I like to do maybe a little about quarter percent of the width of that spread here. So we got a forty dollar wide. I'm paying about ten dollars for that. It breaks even down at 425. I can make up to. 30 bucks if the stock is down near 395 on April expiration. And that's like risking one to possibly make three if we have a check back towards that $400 level. Guy, thoughts here, buddy? Well,
0: so many thoughts here. First of all, that's a great screenshot. I wish I knew how to do that. But I'm going to channel my inner Carter Worth and say, if we can toggle back to the prior chart, we'll take a look at this. Now, CNBC should do a show talking about exactly a situation where you risk less to make more catchy tune like options in the title. I don't know. I mean, call me crazy. But what I will say is you're giving yourself a little over a month. This is, in fact, a blow off top. Now, it's not, again, valuation-wise, Lockheed Martin still makes a lot of sense, but yet a lot of volume getting into the name. I would submit your levels are spot on. I think we do see a retest of that prior resistance level, which comes in just slight low of 400 398 and a half or thereabouts. Well documented, well thought out trade by you, Dan Nathan.
1: Thanks, my main man. Hey, Liz, you have any thoughts on industrials? Maybe not, you know, defense stocks in particular, because, you know, again, you know, big story of 2021 was kind of rotations, if you if you will, especially as money was coming out of some of these kind of higher valuation names and industrials and some transports caught a bit. Just curious your thoughts on that sector.
2: Yeah, look, back to guy in my conversation earlier. If Sentiment drives us into a recession. Industrials is not a place you want to be. I don't think that this year is a year when sentiment is going to get us there. It can. It certainly can because fear begets fear, right? And just selling pressure continues on that momentum. I think that we're going to slowly remove uncertainties and fears from the bag and sentiment will recover. At least investor sentiment will recover to a point where we don't have a recession. The issue with some of these sectors, so... That would include industrials materials even financials i think financials are a great opportunity here but industrials materials financials in that cyclical realm i think you have to wait for a little while because we need this escalation in russia ukraine to stop to cool off before we can really be sure that we're not headed for a recession and then you start to leg back in
1: yeah, well, that's that's a really good point, and and real you know you just mentioned the financials, and we just want to check one chart. Guy and I had it up on Market Call earlier in the week here, and this was J.P. Morgan, and I know there was a lot of talk over the weekend. People were saying that these financial sanctions might cause the knock-on effects that the very contagion that you're kind of bringing up in your post this week here. This one is really interesting to me. Forget a Lehman moment. I mean, we're not going to have that sort of crisis. I think you kind of well documented your thoughts there. But this chart, if you look over the Multiple years, you know, we just got below that high that it made before, you know, the market crashed in 2020. Here, when you look at a chart like that and a single name that's a really important company, what do you say to yourself? Because I don't want to be buying that right now. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can't comment on the name itself, but I think there are certainly. There are certainly names within financials that are gonna get hit disproportionately hard depending on their exposure to the yield curve, their exposure to the consumer and their exposure internationally. So one of the things that I talked about in the note was the fact that European banks are more susceptible to this contagion risk from Russia than US banks are. So then it's more about how much exposure do we have European banks. And in reality, we have a little less than 10% exposure to European financials, European consumers, at least in our banks. So that's a good thing. I think we're insulated from that. Now, between now and the first Fed hike, I think financials probably do see more volatility. So you're right. It's Likely we see more bumps in the road here, maybe even for the next 30 days with a VIX at this level. But I still think financials are an opportunity this year, especially if the idea that I had before comes to fruition where things growth starts to slow, things kind of firm up, sentiment doesn't send us into a recession. Then you've got a steepening yield curve, a Fed that's still trying to control inflation, and financials are going to be there for the consumer as long as we don't go completely backwards into contraction
0: it's interesting why i mean and we're going to go to butters in a second but in terms of financials i think what's happened here with jp morgan is believe it or not valuation caught up to them as well and they were trading close to two and a half times tangible book and i think market participants woke up one morning and said wait a second it's a great bank it ain't that good but that's just my personal views now you're going to stick around because like the rest of the world you've become a huge fan of the person we just call butters like share like Bono, like Slash, like all those things. Well, here's our one for the road, EY. And Dan Nathan, tell us why this is important. Well, listen, you know that I love John Butters. I love John Butters
1: before you love John Butters. I just want to say that. That's how, you know, back in the schoolyard, you used to say, I like that quarterback before you did here. But, you know, I, I've been a fan of Butters and Earnings Insight for a long time. And one of the things I find most interesting about um, his weekly note that drops on Friday, so check that out on Facts Set, is that, you know, he's really kind of keying on some things that, inputs that I think are important to kind of like the way I think about markets holistically and investing a little bit. And here, you know, we're getting towards the end of Q1 here and he cited an analyst of cut earnings estimates for the S&P 500 for Q1 of this year by 1.2% in aggregate over the first two months of the quarter here. That decrease is smaller than the trailing five years which is usually about 2%. So there's a couple ways to think about this guy. Okay, So Is it going to be a situation where we start seeing misses, right? Because if analysts are not cutting into the prints as we start to get them after the quarter in late April, mid to late April, that sort of thing, are we going to see further disappointments? I'd almost rather see analysts cut into the end of the quarter and then have some sort of estimates that maybe get too low. And i surprised by it also because the stock market has performed so poorly this quarter, Guy.
0: That's the right take. You know, a lot of, listen, I'm I'm not trying to. Throw cold water on the industry, but a lot of analysts are playing defense constantly. They're constantly playing from behind. There are some that try to get in front of these things. To your point, I think you're going to see more analysts trying to get in front of what it probably is the inevitable in terms of some earnings revisions in the back half of this year. We will see, Dan. But amongst the many things that are short, one of them today is our time. Our time is short because I look at the clock, Dan. It says 1130. So I want to say goodbye to Liz Young. Happy early 40th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) For more great content from EY, follow her on Twitter. Not EY Strat. It's at Liz Young Strat. And sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com backslash daily to read Liz's articles that drop. I can't even believe I just said that. Every Thursday. And that's going to do it for Market Call. Thanks again to our sponsors, Faxet, SoFi, and Open Exchange. And tune in on Monday at one o'clock back to our regularly scheduled time and check out our podcast on the tape that I'm going to say it twice now in 30 seconds drops on Fridays. Later.